going to do this with knowledge in the church today. We're going to get We lift up your name today, Lord. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, Lord. You have steadfast your faithfulness endures from generation to generation. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of the King, above all kings, the name above all names. Before you ever do, you will bow heaven on earth and confess that you are Lord for the glory of the Father. We lift your name up today, Lord. How great is your name? I pray for all our friends here today, Lord. More than anything that we walk away with, I pray that we walk away with a revelation of your greatness, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, Lord, of your compassion, of your mercy, of your righteousness and justice, Lord. We can give it the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Jesus. You said that knowing God was what eternal life is. I pray you give us insight into that today, Lord. A revelation of you. In Jesus' name, we acknowledge your name and praise. Amen. 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 Well, hey, it's great to see everyone. You can take a seat. I love being outside with you guys. This is awesome. It's even better that it's not 100 degrees or whatever it was last week. All the people I asked after the service, hey, we were worried you were going to pass out. You had so much sweat coming from your brow. Don't worry. I sweat a lot. I may sweat even today, but we've got nice breeze to keep us cool. We are in the middle of a teaching series called Stay in the Story. So stay in the story. Oh, come on. Stay, stay in the story. Stay in the story. Stay in the story is all about staying in the story of Jesus. And as we get started today, I want to tell you a story about a woman named Florence Chadwick. She was born in 1918 in San Diego, California. And like any good California girl, any good San Diego girl, she loved to swim. She loved the water, and her parents found out from a young age that she was a very proficient swimmer. Very strong swimmer. She would win races at the local pool. She would beat everyone as a young child. And as she grew as a swimmer, she decided to try some open water races, meaning not in the pool, but out in the ocean. Raise your hand if you've ever done an open water swim. Are you going to try to make it to beat very open water swimmers? Okay, a few. There's no reason there's only a few hands up because it's very difficult. You get out in the water and the waves splash you in the face, you're away from the shore, you're away from the shallow end, and that's what she likes to do. So she competes these open water swims, and eventually she does near like long distance open water swims. As an example, she swam the English Channel, which is 23 miles from Britain to France. She swam it. There, yes, she swam it back. By herself, unassisted, took around 15 to 16 hours, I believe. That's a long time swimming in the ocean. And she decided she wanted to extend her swimming power, her swimming challenge. So she decided to try to swim the Catalina Island to the coast of California, which will be 26 miles in the open water. Now, I get tired thinking about driving 26 miles. And she's talking about Swimming 26 miles. Unbelievable. So she says that. She has a team around her, stuck her boat. The plan is for her to swim from the Catalina Islands to the coast of California. She's been going five hours in, ten hours in, and she's looking good. 
just come up there, and about 12 hours in, a fog sets in all around her. A fog so thick that she says she couldn't see her hand in front of her face when she was struck. Now think about that. Put yourself in her shoes, or, or put yourself in her place, if you will, and think about being out in the ocean, which is intimidating enough. And now you can't see forward. You can't see behind you. You can't see the boats on the right or the left of you. You can't see when you look up. And you look down and you realize you have the entire ocean underneath you. What a disorienting feeling. What an overwhelming feeling to be that blows by the fog. And in that moment, though she was a strong swimmer, though she was swimming for hours, and with the strength to compete the journey in that moment, the fog was so intense around her. It's so enveloping of her that she was like, I, I can't go on. Fifteen hours in, she said, I can't go on. She called for the boats that were around her to come and get They came, they pulled her out of the water, and they asked her, they said, what, What's wrong? Like, is something happening? And she said, The fog is too great. I cannot see, and I cannot keep going. She was very, very discouraged about this, and even more discouraged when she found out she was only half a mile away from the shore. But she was swam 25 and a half miles and made it that far. It's half a mile away from her goal, half a mile away from her vision, half a mile away from the story that she was pursuing. She said, I'm done, I can't see anymore. But she didn't give up. She tried again. She said, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to make this. She starts out swimming. Seven months later, going well, five hours in, ten hours in. Around 12 hours in, the same thing happened. The fog kept up. And they said that this fog was stronger and thicker and more spooky than the first fog. So the first fog was a challenge, a time of disorientation. This new fog kept up. Again, she can't see her hands in front of her. She can't see the boats beside her. She can't see the shore anymore. She can't see us. She can't see behind. She thinks about going down, and there's the ocean beneath her. And yet, this time, she was able to keep swimming and made it to the coast of California and set a new world record by about two hours. An incredible thing. And when she got there, they started going. It was the same conditions that last time, maybe even worse. It was so foggy. What happened last time you had to give up? What happened this time? She said, Before I set out on this race, I had memorized a picture of the coast of California. And I held that picture in my mind. I could see where I was going, even if I couldn't see around me. Even if the fog around it was disorienting in my mind's eye, I could see the coast of California. And as long as I could see the coast, I knew where I was going. And if I know where I'm going, if I know where I'm going, then I can endure the journey to get there. Because the story that she was living, she held it before in her mind's eye, and it allowed her to persevere in the midst of the fog. Why do I tell you that story? As we're reading through the book of Acts, I want to remind you that we're reading about the early church in a time where they were surrounded by great fog. It was a time of great testing. There was persecution. There was political pressure. There was famine. 
There were earthquakes. There were years. There were imprisonment. There was disruption. They had to leave the place they come. There was a time of disruption and disorientation. It was a time when they could easily feel overwhelmed. And like what God would say, I've lost sight of where I'm going. I'm out. In a similar way to Florence Chadwick, they were able to hold in their mind a vision of Jesus, a vision of the story of God. The God had broken into our broken world in the person of Jesus. But he had come for broken people like me and my men, broken by sin, broken by our own choices, broken by the choices of others. And Jesus has come for them and has come for us. God in the flesh, the living embodiment of love. And even in their midst, he had gone to the cross to die for their sins and for the sins of the whole world. And he's risen again on the third day with power over sin, power for new life, power for purpose, a better story for them to live than all the other stories of the hunger. And the lives have been changed by this, and they were able in a time of great thought to keep that before them, to stay in the story. And we're going through this with the church because we're in a time of great thought. We're in a time where many of us, if you're honest, it does not feel like we can see before us. It does not feel like we can see behind us, to the right, to the left. We woke up, we can't feel it down. It's the ocean. It's a time of disorientation. It's a time where so many of us feel overwhelmed. Where so many of us feel fatigued at all the uncertainties that we've been through this last year. And we're going through this story in the book of Acts. And we're reminding ourselves of Jesus. And we're setting our eyes on Him. And even though when we look around us, it may look like thoughts, we have a vision in our mind of Him and His story. Just like that vision helped Lawrence Chadwick persevere, just like that vision helped the early church persevere, that vision of Jesus. In our minds, focusing on it, we're trying to help all of us tell in the story. But if we can make it through the trials, if we know where we're going, if we know what the destination is like, if we know who is our shepherd, who is the one guiding us. So last week we saw in the opening of the book of Acts, we saw that the local church, a church like this, a healthy local church, is the soil that God has given to us to plant our lives in. But in that soil, that's where we become, and we walk into the life that God has for us. The local church helps us to show the story. You show it out today, you engage it, you gain a part. Right? It helps you to stay in the story of Jesus. It helps keep down before your mind in the midst of the fog. Today we're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to read about another uh, practice that they have, another image that they have to help them stay in the story. Acts chapter 6, I encourage you to take out your Bibles, pull out your phones. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it said, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church is growing, and new followers of Jesus being added. It said the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
Let me know what's going on here. They had a cultural tension in their world where they were from, they were just divided culturally, ethnically. Where they believed, the Jewish people believed at that time that they were superior to everyone else. On the other side, the Roman culture and the Greek culture, they believed that they were superior to everyone else. There was an ethnic divide, there was a cultural divide, there was a pecking order, a jockey for position. We're the best ones, not them. We know we're the best ones, not here. There's a divide in the culture that they have grown up with. And here in the early church, as people are coming to faith in Jesus, people from various cultures, we'll read throughout the book of Acts, people of various cultures and various ethnicities, that in the world are told to you stay divided. In the world are told, you're right, they're wrong. In the world are told, like, this is the right way to go. You are it, not them. But when they come to Jesus, there's a new story being told. And we see this here between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. They were both Jewish ethnically. But the Hebraic Jews had helped to the culture of the Hebrews of the Jewish people. The Hellenistic Jews, though they were ethnically Jewish culturally, they had given themselves to the Greek culture. So the Hebraic Jews looked at them like they were sellouts. But they had sold out from, we're the best race, and you're not acting like that. You're acting like them. You're a sellout. That's what their culture said. But in the church, there's something different going on. There's a different story being told. And the church had a ministry that daily distributed food to the vulnerable among them. And their day, widows were extremely vulnerable. We had a food distribution ministry. As they were going about this ministry, the church was growing, and there began to be voices and complaints. Now, I know that's shocking to hear that there would ever be complaints in church, but there were. And the complaint was from the Hellenistic Jews saying, hey, our widows are not getting the food that they need. The Hebraic Jewish widows, they're getting up before us. There's a system in place that's been put in place, whether intentionally, or inadvertently, that's favoring one group of people over another because of who they are and because of where they're from. Because the system is not fair. The system is broken. It does not accurately reflect the vision of the kingdom of God. It does not accurately reflect the story of Jesus in the way that it's happening. So they voice their concerns. They raise their concerns. It says, so the twelve gathered, this is verse uh, two, the twelve gathered all the disciples together, the twelve the twelve apostles and Jesus, the disciples, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Yet it is this there two, seven men from among you, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility, this responsibility, over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Please, the whole group. So, what did the 12 do? When it came to their attention that there was a system in place 
was not accurately reflecting God's heart for the church and God's heart for the world. They said, okay, this is a time to raise up new leaders. This is so interesting. As we read through the book about all the significant challenge that they come to, so often their response when they see a problem is, oh, it's time to raise up new leaders to take on this new problem, to deal with this issue, so that we can actually reflect and not be blind and work and live according to the kingdom of God so that we can be the witness that we need to be for the world. To raise up leaders. You know the leaders that they raised up, they didn't try to do it all themselves. They looked around and they said, We're looking for people of character. We're looking for people full of the strength and wisdom. Right? And part of leadership development in the church is raising up people of character and of wisdom. Now, when this gets really interesting, they said, we're going to turn this over to them. And here's what I want to point out to you. Instead of the, well, the seven that they chose, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, also Procurus, Nicanor, Simone, Arminus, and Nicholas from Anna, who converted to Judaism. And they considered these men from the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them for the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What you may not know about those names is that every one of those names was a Greek name. Every one of those names was a Hellenistic name. Every one of those names represented a Hellenistic Jew. Most of those names, they weren't, they weren't traditionally Jewish names. This is just so fascinating. They identify a problem, a systematic place. They're kind of accurately reflecting the heart of God, the kingdom of Jesus. And they say, we're going to address this, and we're going to address this by raising our new leaders. We're going to stay focused on what God has called us to do, realize their limits. And the people that put a great in our character, but they were from an ethnicity, or they were from a culture. If they were 12 growing up, they would have been told, you don't associate with those types of people. They're down here, they're up here. But Jesus had changed their hearts and given them a different story. So what they said was, it's not about us having the table. And everyone else kind of standing back from afar. We're going to use our power. We're going to use our position. We're going to use our strength to pull you up and give you a place at the table. What's interesting is that these men, these seven, as you read through the rest of the book of Acts, Stephen, who's one listed in the next chapter, he's not just overseeing the business of these God is working through him with signs and wonders. He's preaching the gospel boldly. He's martyred for his faith. Philip goes on to be a noted evangelist. He's the one that brings the gospel to the Ethiopian women who preach the gospel to the continent of Africa. These men were raised up. These leaders were raised up. In that moment, God used them to address the problems of the church accurately reflected his heart. And he used them to bring the gospel to new lands and to new people. The reason I tell you this story 
It's because the church has at her heart a call to develop leaders to address both the problems in the church and the problems in the world. As a church, a Jesus-loving church, we have a responsibility to develop leaders. So where, where are you getting this? That's what this story namely. So when you look at the last words of Jesus to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in the field called the Great Commission. And I'm charging you, I'm commissioning you to go and make disciples of all nations. The baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and though I am with you always to the end of the age. So think about this for a moment. We're called to make disciples. We're called to be disciples and go and make disciples. Can you hear me right here? Come on down. Put your hand here. This is an extra question on the prices, right? Jan is on our overseas team to the name of God. So if Jesus gives to Jan the commission to go and to make disciples, Come on, sir. If I can feel it then. There you go. So Jan has gone and made a disciple. Now, clearly, it's your turn. One time somebody with a green band and bought him up. Your dad, perfect. So Jan has gone out and he has invested in truth. Maybe you're living in a team. Maybe you're living in a division. Maybe 
you live in the home, if you're in God, the PTA is just full. I don't know the place that God is putting you, but what I want you to know, though, is that you're proud to be a leader. You're proud to be a leader, built in the Spirit of God to address the brokenness of our world. God's strategy is to raise up new leaders to deal with these problems. How many of you know we are in a time of great problems in America? Therefore, I believe we're in a time where God is going to raise up new leaders to stand filled with the Spirit of God, filled with wisdom, to bring solutions to the most complicated problems our world is facing, to actually reflect the kingdom of God. So we as a church, we are committed. Part of our For the City vision, part of why we're doing For the City, is a commitment to develop leaders. And I want to invite you and call you and stir your faith to see yourself as a leader. And remind you of your calling from the Lord to give you a call to go and to make disciples. And as we go and make disciples, this is how we say the story. Because every time you step into a leadership situation and you remember, hey, this is not about me and my kingdom. This is about Jesus and his kingdom. It's about them. It helps you to say the story of serving that limits before you. That keeps you in the fog. That helps you persevere. And helps all of us reach our final destination. Heaven and earth is made new. So that I only invite you to stay You don't walk away with anything else today. I want you to walk away with Jesus. He loves you. He loves the whole world. He calls you to be a leader. He calls you to be a disciple. He calls you to go and make disciples. And we commit to being disciples and making disciples. We commit to being leaders and making leaders and dealing with the problems of this world. We commit to staying in the story, no matter what fog may come. Because Jesus is the worship team is going to come up and lead us. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit minister and take these words and speak to you and encourage you and minister to you here as we close to help all of us go and say, let's say the story. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love every single person here. Thank you that you love every single person watching on God. You know, people, this may be their first time in church ever, their first time in church in a long time. And you love the people that grew up in church. You love us the whole world. Your heart is for the whole world. Thank you for stepping into our story, for bringing a better story, the story of redemption found in you. And thank you that you're here in the whole world, Lord, and you want to raise up leaders to do that. I pray that you're empowered by your spirit to stay in the story and to develop leaders. In Jesus' name, amen.